Acts chapter 15. Last time we looked at the process. How does the rule of Christ apply to theological disagreements? And we saw that Christ rules theological disagreements by the gathering of the elders to make binding decisions on the church. Today we're not going to look at the process, we're going to look at the verdict. What decision was made on this vexed question, which is ultimately the question of the relationship between Old and New Testaments, the question of the relationship between circumcision and the whole Levitical system for which it stands, and the New Covenant and God's way of salvation in Christ. What did the Jerusalem Council say about that? Well, their final decision is here, uh, starting in verse 19, and then verses 23 through 29, their formal letter explaining, here is our decision. So James says, verse 19, Therefore I judge that we should not bother those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled and from blood. For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was also named Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. They wrote this letter by them. The apostles, the elders, and the brethren to the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words, unsettling your souls, saying, You must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment, it seemed good to us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us to give attention to this verdict. Show us how we too ought to abstain from the defilement of idols, from blood, and from sexual immorality. Give us your wisdom and understanding to interpret this passage correctly and to submit to the rule of Christ expressed through the decision of his elders. We pray that you would free us from distraction, that you would give me boldness and clarity of speech. Give all of us hearts that are ready to receive the good seed of your word that we might produce fruit 40, 60, 100 times as much. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, in many ways, this verdict is baffling. The question is, do we need to be circumcised and keep the law? And the verdict comes back, you need to abstain from idolatry, blood, and sexual immorality. To which those asking the question say, 
Well, what about the terms in which I put my question? What about circumcision? What about keeping the law? Why did you grab these three or four things out of the Old Testament and say, boom, here's four things, keep these, forget the rest? Right? The principle by which these four things in the verdict was selected is far from obvious to us. So we're going to look at that, look at the principle by which they were selected. We'll see that they're pulled straight from Leviticus 17 to 18. And that in giving this answer, the council is answering the rest of the question. The council is saying circumcision is dead. Kosher laws are dead. The Levitical system is dead. But the word of God is not dead. The commands of God in the Old Testament that apply to Gentiles as well as Jews, that is the moral commands, those commands are alive and well. And you Gentile converts need to continue to keep those moral commands. That's the message of the Jerusalem Council. The moral commands of the Old Testament still apply, and they list three of those, or four of those, moral commands. The general principle, though, is the one stated by James in verse 19. And this is... This is a very bold statement. Therefore, I judge that we should not bother those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God. James literally speaks in terms of annoying people. All you're going to do if you insist on circumcision and food laws is annoy Gentiles. Now, most of us tend not to think of the precepts of the Word of God as merely bothersome. This is just annoying. Don't try to load these on people. We shouldn't be bothering them. But James says, that's all you Pharisees want to do. Right? Verse 1, well, not verse 1, no, verse 5, some of the Pharisees said, it is necessary to circumcise them and command them to keep the law of Moses. James says, you say that, all you want to do is annoy your fellow saints. You just want to bother them. He doesn't call the dreams of the Pharisees by a dignified or exalted name. He calls them botheration and annoyance. What does this tell us? Well, it tells us this. The church has a temptation to bother new converts. Pharisees wanted to make the Gentiles look like themselves. Come be a Pharisee. Come be a first century Palestinian Jew of the strictest school. Now, most of us are not tempted to try to convert new people, new converts, into Pharisaism. We're more tempted to convert them to be like us. Come be an American. To be a Christian is to be a Wyomingite, is to be a gun owner is to be a Broncos fan, is to be this or that or the other from our own particular culture and place. James says, you know what? That's just bothering people. Try to take your cultural distinctives and impose them on new converts as if they are the message about Jesus is botheration and foolishness. 
The church should have no part in this. The kingdom of Christ is not about bothering people. It's about teaching people to obey Jesus. That's very different than teaching people to be like me. That is what James is saying. James, of course, as we understand, he's a Jerusalemite. He follows the strict kosher laws himself. He grew up in a faithful Jewish family. He's Jesus' little brother, perhaps, or maybe he's the other James. Regardless, he's somebody from Jerusalem, from Palestine, who is not, no, he's not a Gentile. He's not going to live like somebody from Syrian Antioch. But his message is, if we try to get Gentiles to live like Jews, we have forgotten the gospel and we've just become bothersome, petty fools. So the general principle is quit annoying the Gentiles. But the specific regulations that the council gives are essentially three, down in verse 29. Abstain from things offered to idols, from blood and things strangled, that's one item, and from sexual immorality. Now what are these for? What is the deal? Well, no eating meat offered to idols. That's the first one. In those days, all meat, pretty much, was slaughtered either under the supervision of pagan priests or passed through some kind of pagan ceremony between the slaughterhouse and the market. If you go to any uh, meat department in an American grocery store, you will find that allegedly every piece of meat in that cooler rack has been graded and passed by the United States Department of Agriculture. You will see a little logo on there that says USDA, and it might say prime, or it might say choice, or it might say select, but it, they all have that little logo of the Department of Agriculture and a brief statement indicating that that meat has been certified by the Department of Agriculture. Well, in those days, you wouldn't see a USDA symbol or a Roman Imperial Department of Agriculture symbol. You would instead see some little mark, perhaps, that indicates the local priest of Zeus has blessed this one. Or the Temple of Apollo, uh, this was offered there. You would go to the meat market and the meat there would indicate, or you would know that it had been offered it to an idol in some fashion. James says, if you see that mark, don't eat that meat. This is the verdict of the Jerusalem council. If meat has been through an idolatrous ceremony, don't touch it. Next thing he says is no eating blood. Abstain from blood and from things strangled. Now, that does not refer to how the meat is cooked. Right? If you, it's still pink and juicy, we say it's bloody, that's not blood. I was informed this week that, in fact, the juice, the pink juice inside, is protein thrown off by the meat. It, so it's not about cooking all your meat to well done. Rather, as the next item, strangled, says, it's about how the meat is killed. You have to kill the animal in such a way that the blood has an opportunity to drain out. 
Now, as most of you know, meat killed and the blood not drained is nasty. Any animal that you try to eat where the blood wasn't drained, if it was strangled and the blood has been forced into all the tissues inside, you'll say, yuck, why did they kill it this way? But this is not the precept of a gourmand, somebody telling us, you know, you really don't want to eat anything that was strangled. This is a moral precept from the Jerusalem Council saying, blood is not for human consumption. Blood belongs to God, therefore it's not for you to eat. Any meat you eat should have been hung up in such a way that the blood was allowed to drain out. And of course, if something is strangled, then the blood doesn't have anywhere to go, and it stays in the tissues, and it effectively ruins the meat. So, first precept, nothing sacrificed to an idol. Second precept, nothing killed in a way that retains the blood inside the flesh. And then the third precept is sexual immorality. Stay away from all forms of sexual sin. Now, I've already, of course, given away the source of these precepts, but if we just think about these precepts, coming to them naively, we say, what is the relationship between meat offered to idols, blood, and sexual immorality? Why did they pick these three? And the answer is very far from obvious. What is obvious is that there's no mention of other items. There's no mention of kosher laws, for instance. Uh, Some have tried to explain the selection of these three in terms of kosher laws. But that doesn't make any sense. Why would a bigoted Jewish Christian be willing to sit at the same table with a Gentile somewhere in Asia... And the Gentile pulls out a big stick of bacon and says, mm, this is so good, but it was, you know, we drained all the blood from this pig. And the Jew says, that's great. I'm glad you like that bacon. Right? Kosher laws do not explain why it says no blood, no strangling, but doesn't say anything about no pork or no shrimp. So there's no mention of kosher laws, and circumcision, the original issue, is not referenced in the decree at all. It doesn't say you have to be circumcised. It doesn't say you don't have to be circumcised. Circumcision has been left on one side, as if to say circumcision makes no difference to anybody. Circumcision is not an issue in the church. We don't even have to talk about it. And then there's no mention of anything about sacrificial regulations. It says, don't eat things offered to idols, but it doesn't say, make sure you prepare the bird in the right way. Make sure you offer the bull the way that Leviticus 5 says to offer the bull. No mention of that. And finally, nothing about the temple. Nothing like make sure you pay your temple tax. Or, on the other hand, make sure you don't pay your temple tax. The temple is defunct. The temple is going away. This decree is silent about the most important features of the Levitical system. 
Nothing about the temple. Nothing about sacrifice. Nothing about kosher. Nothing about circumcision. When the original question was, what about circumcision? And the answer is, nothing about circumcision. The answer is, make sure you don't eat food offered to idols, things strangled, or indulge in sexual immorality. So in order to figure out what ties these three together, we have to go back to Leviticus 17. So I would encourage you to go back there. Leviticus 17 is unique because of its statement that these laws are for both the native and the sojourner. Uh, Where are we? So Leviticus 17, verse 8. You shall say to them, whatever man of the house of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn among you who offers a burnt offering or sacrifice and does not bring it to the door of the tabernacle of meeting to offer it to the Lord, that man shall be cut off from among his people. So Leviticus 17 says, first of all, you must offer every sacrifice at the tabernacle door. You can't go kill it outside the camp. Verse 3, you can't kill it in the camp because, uh, verse 7, they shall no more offer their sacrifices to demons after whom they whore. In the wilderness, Moses says, or God says to Moses, your people are taking animals and they're finding a, a nice secluded spot and they're sacrificing to their favorite goat demon. We're not going to do this anymore. If somebody kills an animal anywhere except at the door of the tabernacle, they're toast. They are expelled from the camp. They are excommunicated from Israel. And this applies to Israelites. It also applies to Gentiles sojourning among the Israelites. Now, how do we get from that to meat offered to idols? Well, what is God saying to Moses? No sacrificing to idols. That's the bottom line. That's why you have to sacrifice at the tabernacle. This regulation passed away when they went into the land. You could, there were multiple slaughter sites throughout Israel. You no longer had to kill all the meat at the temple. But during this period in the wilderness, God says, idolatry must stop. You can't go worship your goat demons. Don't participate in any act of sacrificing to idols. So James takes that and he updates it for his own time and he says, what's the moral core here? The moral core is flee from idolatry. How can you participate in idolatry? Well, you can eat meat sacrificed to idols. You can support the slaughterhouse system that's intimately tied in with pagan temples. Don't participate in that system. If you have a kosher butcher, go to him. If you don't have a kosher butcher, guess you're going to be a vegetarian until you learn how to be your own butcher. That's the message. That's the first thing that the Jerusalem Council says. No idolatry. Don't participate in idolatry. Even are far enough down the line to the point where you're just eating something 
that was offered as an idolatrous sacrifice. Well, the source of that first precept is Leviticus 17. The next item in Leviticus 17 is a ban on blood. Verse 10 of Leviticus 17. Whatever man of the house of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn among you. So once again, it's a command not just for Israel, but also for Gentiles sojourning with Israel. Whatever man eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. No blood. That's the precept. So that includes strangled animals. Anything slaughtered in a way that leaves the blood in the meat is off limits because the blood belongs to God. The Jerusalem Council picks up on this. First item from Leviticus 17, second item from Leviticus 17, and says, no idolatry, no blood. And then finally, Leviticus 18, which we just read this morning, also is specifically addressed to Israel and to Gentiles sojourning with Israel. Uh, Leviticus 17 verse, or Leviticus 18 verse 26, "You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, shall not commit any of these abominations, either any of your own nation or any stranger who sojourns among you." So the command, once again, is not just for Israel, but for Gentiles sojourning with Israel. So it's the same three items that the Jerusalem Council mentions in the same order. Clearly, Leviticus 17 to 18 is the source of these precepts that the Jerusalem Council sends out to the Gentile churches, saying, Gentiles, you've come in, you're sojourning with Israel. It's three house rules. And they're not circumcision, kosher, and temple etiquette. They're not the Levitical system, sacrifices, and priesthood. No, those things are gone. We don't even talk about those things. Those things are irrelevant now. But the three house rules are this. No idolatry, no blood, no sexual sin. That's where the Jerusalem Council got these three things. My guess is that James had recently been preaching on Leviticus. We pastors tend to think like this and say, oh, here's an obscure text that directly addresses the thing that we're trying to think about. Because, let's face it, how many of you, if somebody comes to you with a question about circumcision, are going to say, you know what, Leviticus 17 to 18 already said exactly what rules apply to Israel and Gentiles living with them. We don't know this relationship, but James knew it. And so James goes to Leviticus 17 and 18 and he pulls out these three things and he says to the council, let's say this. And the council says, you're right. Let's say that. And they write it down in a letter, send it out to the churches. So we have these three things uh, specifically taken from Leviticus 17. Now, it is a little more complicated because Leviticus and Deuteronomy say in other places, this law is for the native and for the stranger. But all of those laws are ceremonial laws that passed away with the temple. So, for instance, the previous chapter, Leviticus 16, says this is for the native and the stranger. 
Leviticus 16.29, In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your souls and do no work at all, whether a native of your own country or a stranger who sojourns among you. That holiday is gone. And so Gentiles sojourning among Israel don't have to keep that holiday because that holiday no longer applies. Uh, Same with Leviticus 20, telling sojourners in Israel not to sacrifice to Molech. That comes back to idolatry. Don't do that. There's one in Numbers 35 that says the cities of refuge are for sojourners as well as Israelites. There are no more cities of refuge. So the only three commands in the entire Pentateuch that are moral and that are for Israel and Gentiles among Israel are these three. No idolatry, no blood, no sexual immorality. Now, where this gets tricky is that the New Testament addresses these three things again. That is, these three precepts have an afterlife, and Paul addresses them in 1 Corinthians 10. So go over there, because the source is clear, and the text of Acts 15 is clear, but 1 Corinthians 10 complicates the picture a little bit. The Jerusalem Council says, no eating meat sacrificed to idols. But Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 10, 20-21. I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and of the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than He? All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but all things do not edify. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no question for conscience' sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. If any of those who do not believe invites you to dinner and you desire to go, Eat whatever is set before you, asking no question for conscience' sake. But if anyone says to you, this was offered to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who told you and for conscience' sake, for the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. So what does Paul say? Paul addresses this same question of meat offered to idols. And he settles on a don't ask, don't tell policy. He says, if it was offered to idols, you can eat it as long as you don't know for sure. If you don't see the little mark that says this was sacrificed in Apollo's temple, have at it. But if you're at dinner and you've had the first bite and somebody says to you, hey, this meat belongs to Athena, then you have to say, oh man, I don't think I can eat anymore. Don't lie, right? Don't say, I'm full. Or don't say, I'm suddenly feeling an attack of vegetarianism coming on. But you have to recognize, Paul says, if you participate in the idolatrous system, if you eat at the demon's table, that undoes the Lord's table. 
You can't have it both ways. That is, you can't say, I'm a beneficiary of the sacrifice of Christ. Jesus is my Lord. He's the only sacrifice I need. And, therefore it won't hurt me to eat something sacrificed to Zeus. Paul says, no, you can't do that. Zeus is a demon. Apollo is a demon. They're all demons. And if you go and participate in the worship of them, even downstream to where you're just buying stuff that has a little mark that says, belongs to Apollo. You are participating in idolatry. You're eating something that has been given to a demon and you're eating it right off that demon's table. Don't do it. Now that's really the same as the Jerusalem Council's verdict, which is the same as Leviticus 17. If it's sacrificed to a goat demon, it's off limits for the child of God. Whether you personally sacrificed it, or whether you just bought it from someone who sacrificed it, doesn't matter. So how do we apply this to ourselves? Well, these days, right, it's hard to find an outfit that says, we worship idols. We'll sacrifice X to a false god for you for a minor fee of $29.95. Very few places admit to being idolatrous. But idolatry is just retreated. Today it calls itself self-care or my rights or a healthy concern for financial stability. Or a little harmless indulgence. We still worship the idols of money, pleasure, power, just like they did in Paul's day. We just don't call them Zeus, Athena, Apollo, and Dionysius anymore. Same demons, same false gods, under different names. We call them respectable pursuits. So, there's a level of connection to idolatry that Paul and the Jerusalem Council and Moses say is off-limits. Christians don't participate in that connection to idolatry. So there's a few things that can stand out easily on this. Right? If you own a huge television and a pricey sound system, you might worship entertainment. Not necessarily. Not everyone who spins big on a home theater worships entertainment. But you can't deny that a lot of people who invest heavily into that worship their entertainment. I've told you before about the dad who's all mad the day after his football team loses. He's a bear to be around. That guy is an idolater. No bones about it. Of course, it's always easy to point at somebody else and say, oh, I see his idolatry. But the Jerusalem Council is telling us, Paul is telling us, Moses is telling us, if there's some idolatry going on, if there's some worship of a false god, and you participate in that, you are in sin. You can worship your office setup. Oh, I just love to sit at my desk and work at this wonderful desk that I've set up. You can worship your home. Oh, my lawn is perfect this week. You can worship your car. Oh, I drive this thing. Everybody will notice me when I go by. 
You can worship your retirement portfolio, your electronics, your phone. <coughs> there are people who worship their trash can. Stuff, relationships, bank accounts. We have this propensity to elevate these things into gods and sacrifice to them. Right? What do we sacrifice to them? Well, our children. Kid, you broke my electronic and so I'm yelling at you because you injured my God. Or sports, right? Kid, we don't worship God on Sunday because we have to go to the sports event. Sports outrakes Jesus. At least this week. It doesn't always, but, but today it does. And learning. We have to do our homework. Or there's all kinds of idols out there that are the idols of our time and place. Jerusalem Council is saying, don't participate. Don't eat the meat offered to idols. But at the same time, Paul does say, the thing it's not that food is unclean. Just because an idolater handled this, or even if an idolater produced it, that doesn't mean that it's tainted. Right? You may have reason to be fairly certain that the man who wrote the book that you're enjoying is a worshiper of success. You may have reason to be fairly certain, what we could say it, that the carpenter who, who made this podium worships woodworking. Right? That's his God. That doesn't mean that it's wrong for us to use the podium or wrong for us to purchase the television from some godless creep who designed it. The problem is not that idolatry was involved. The problem is that the thing has become a marker of idolatry. And that's why Paul says, if somebody tells you this is idolatrous, that's when you have to stop. Now, again, that gets tricky. He says, verse 29, Conscience, I say, not your own, but that of the other. Why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? But if something, if you have reason to believe, you know, a good example is the rainbow flag, that this is a symbol of idolatry, and you display that symbol, use that symbol, work with that symbol, you are participating in the idolatry. So what about eating blood? Foods are not unclean, but blood is not to be eaten. Blood is off limits. It belongs to God. And some people say that this is a ceremonial precept that's expired. I don't think so. Because Leviticus 17 says it's for the non-Israelite as well. Jerusalem Council says it's for the non-Israelite as well. Don't make blood pudding. Don't eat blood as a food. Shouldn't be something Christians do. And then finally, incest in every form of sexual perversion is wrong. The Bible is clear about that from beginning to end. As we just read in Leviticus 18. So those are the three precepts of the Jerusalem Council. 
And the big ones for us are no sexual sin, which our culture is awash in, no idolatry. We're not too likely to be served blood anytime soon. But we will certainly be given the chance this week to engage in sexual sin. We will certainly be given the chance this week to worship an idol or to participate in some monument or symbol of idolatry. And when that opportunity comes, the Jerusalem Council says, you're a new believer or an old believer, you're a Gentile living with Jews in the one family of God. Don't participate in sexual sin. Don't worship idols. That is the rules that Christ gives to his people. This is how the kingdom of God spreads. Jesus rules, and he rules by telling us what we can and can't do. And what we can't do is simple. No idolatry, no blood, no sexual sin. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. Now that's not the complete gospel, obviously. That's why they sent Judas and Silas and Paul to and Barnabas to explain and defend these things in terms of the kingdom of God and the rule of Christ. But now that you know that Jesus has forgiven you, don't be an idolater, don't be a blood eater, and don't be a fornicator. That's the word of God to us. Of course, the Gentile world in that day was awash in these sins. The Gentile world today is awash in these sins. The Jerusalem Council is not saying, if you've ever done this, too bad. They're saying, now that you believe in Jesus, stop. Change your life. No more idols, no more blood, no more sexual immorality. Do this and you will do well. So what are the implications The Jerusalem Council is not issuing extra-biblical moral commands. They didn't come up with this no blood, no idolatry thing out of their own heads. They got it right out of Leviticus 17 and 18. Ceremonial precepts can be morally necessary. 1 Corinthians 10, give no offense to Jews or Greeks or to the church of God. But the Jerusalem Council is not about not offending Jews. It's about not offending God. That's the message to us. Christ rules how we get along, what we eat, who we sleep with, who we worship. That's what this council says. If you're a follower of Jesus, he's your Lord. Obey him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these simple, clear, and memorable rules that you've given to your people. We don't have to be circumcised, that we don't have to learn the ins and outs of the sacrificial system, that we don't have to understand kosher versus non-kosher. We thank you instead for this very simple rule, no idolatry, along with the counterparts, no blood, no sexual immorality. Father, we pray that you would keep us from these sins this week. Don't let us worship entertainment or leisure or food, or sports. Don't let us indulge in sexual sin. Help us to stand against these things because your kingdom has come 
and your son rules us, and we submit to his rules and obey his rules. We praise you that the earth is yours and all the fullness thereof. Help us to live according to that truth, to be your people who walk faithfully and obey you. We pray it in the name of your Son who forgives our sins. Amen.